before we get into today's episode, I've created a short questionnaire that will help me get to know you better. Those that fill out the questionnaire will get entered into a draw to win an Amazon gift card. So there's a link in the description for the episode. Click it, fill out the questionnaire, and I look forward to hearing your feedback. Now for today's episode. This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Justin Warren who is the sales director at Ragent which essentially deals with mesh networks and wireless connectivity solutions across the country and potentially the world as well. So there's a lot of things that we're talking today but specifically he actually works in areas that are struggling with tech so technology and how to integrate it into communities and countries are going to be a big part of today so justin thanks for joining me no my pleasure good to speak with you michael so i wonder if you could give a little bit of a background in your your history justin so how did you get started where did your passion for technology and mesh networks actually come from you know it's funny you you asked that question because at one point in my life you know as a young man coming out of school, high school, my um, I didn't want anything to do with technology. My father was an electrical engineer, and I said, I don't want anything to do with that. I didn't want to be anything like him. And then, of course, I get through college, and I end up working in telecommunications. And, of course, he looked at me and said, I win. <laughs> so but um, so I have been in the industry now for, for quite a while, and I started in telecom ran operations for a number of years for a regional telco and decided to get into wireless and then um, made that transition um, and have just been in the wireless side of things for a long time, uh, both as uh, for infrastructure. And it's just something I enjoy and I have a natural curiosity for uh, the technology itself. And so um, I think it was it's just something I enjoy doing. Now, I know that Wi-Fi and wireless networks, they've come a long way since they first started. It's something that, if I'm right, it was actually, was it space travel that started to develop Wi-Fi? A lot lot of things do tend to come from space and space exploration, but is Wi-Fi one of those things? You know, so, you know, it's one of those things that it's just a matter of, you know, 802.11 technology is just one of those things that, um, evolves over time, right? And it's amazing how the military and things of other natures where you have these crazy environments do uh, create um, a product. And then once the general public gets access to it um, and private industry gets it, we find more applications. So it is one of those things that was able to be evolved, right? Yeah, I I imagine it going that way with a lot of things as well. Like when you picture the uses of it, it would make you think of certain things that would be useful. You know, the ability to connect together without wires sounds very basic when I word it like that. But it's almost like wires would get in the way of certain things, like communicating between phones, for instance, and other like survival needs for certain people or certain jobs wires would just get in the way that's just the idea of okay we need something that can get rid of these because they're causing more problems than they solve that would make sense wouldn't it? it would make sense to have a way of connecting together wirelessly 
without having to worry about some, some infrastructure, I guess, as well. If you think about what would need to happen to be able to connect together, certain Absolutely. things you can't, you can't do it otherwise, can you? Exactly. I mean, if you think about, you know, there are limits to where you can put infrastructure, right? Um, the challenge, however, when it comes to Wi-Fi or any um, wireless connectivity is you still eventually have to hit some sort of a landline um, or terrestrial base station of some sort to be able to maintain that bandwidth and the speed and so on and so forth. But uh, wireless is evolving and the needs are evolving, but it is, you know, the advent of thinking that you're going to be able to deliver fiber in every corner of the earth. It just isn't realistic, right? It's too difficult to do. So wireless has its place and within buildings and outdoors and how do you connect all these things? And then you start thinking about things like autonomous vehicles, um, autonomous, um, whether it's surface air, um, how do you connect those? Or obviously, obviously they can't be tethered. Um, so you have to think of all of those things um, and the applications, therefore. So it's it's critical. I imagine 5G would actually have a bit of an impact on on things like Wi-Fi. If 5G becomes so fast and so powerful, and yet it's in the air, I guess you could say, what happens to wireless and mesh networks when 5G starts to become more popular and more useful? It's, it's interesting you bring that up. So prior to coming to Regent, I worked in the small cell 5G environment. And, you know, when you think about 5G, while everyone talks about it from, from you know, the cellular frequencies and so on and so forth and distance, you, you still have um, Wi-Fi as a part of that. Um, and so that's something that I think is a little bit lost as people talk about 5G. It's It's really the evolution of all wireless communication coming together. Um, you have offloads with, you know, within the within 5G itself, it's how do they offload that traffic in some cases, right? So they're leveraging Wi-Fi, they're leveraging millimeter wave and other technologies to be able to maintain a solid connection. Um, so there is a place there. And when you think about things like mobility, you know, things like LTE, there's 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 limitations just due to physics of, of where it can gain access and consistent um, and that's where Wi-Fi can fill those gaps. I think what makes my company Ragent different is that we have been able to take our solution and build radios that have multiple radios within a single node to help bring more resiliency to what most people think of as Wi-Fi. And that has been a differentiator. So um, I, I, I think it's interesting you bring that up because it, in a 5G world, there's always a place for Wi-Fi. Yeah, actually brings up a, a thought of what do they do with all of the data? Because 5G is so much quicker than 4G. Where does all that data go? It's like the difference between like a 4K movie and something that's purely HD. The, the sizes of the films are drastically different. Where hmm. does all that data go? Which makes me think, well, it's almost like um, I had a conversation a while back about things like nuclear energy and energy and the future of, of that side of things. And a lot of the struggle is what do you do with 
the energy once you have it whether you store it how do you remove the waste from it that sort of thing it's not the actual thing that is the issue it's everything around it so when we can say okay we can build a, a faster mast or whatever the case is and have the technology go so much quicker the implications of that people tend to spend more time on trying to solve and trying to improve because what might work for certain ways of connecting like wi-fi or 4g or 5g whatever it is and then being able to handle that will probably take more technology needing to be improved as well not just the signal speed there's a lot more that goes on isn't it there is um you know, and, and, I, and I'll give you some examples. I mean, if you just think about your simple smartphone, you know, I have a 5G smartphone, but within it, you leverage Wi-Fi, right? So uh, you can do your your voice over Wi-Fi uh, versus using the 5G network. The 5G network is really just being utilized for the data aspects of things, right? Um, but yet, if you lose that, you can go back to uh, utilizing your traditional internet access, right? So um, there's a lot of different ways to leverage that network so that if one fails the other, so what we're really talking about is um, connectivity and it being resilient and redundant. So even in a 5G network, if I'm, let's say for example, I'm deploying radios and security equipment for first responders and um, you know those that would be looking out for us, right? Um, and they're only reliant on 5G, well, that might be a problem. So they're gonna, there's gonna be other offloads to be able to pull that data so that public safety and others can find the information quickly that they want. If you think about autonomous vehicles, I mean, you know, as we move forward to self-driving vehicles, for example, for personal use, the last thing you want is that connection to go dead. So even with Wi-Fi in those highly intense environments, they're also looking for redundancy utilizing wireless, for example, you know, 5G or 4G, for example. So there, there, there is this mix of technology that's necessary to maintain not only the, the resilience of the network, but some then you need that redundancy for it to be so resilient. What's it gonna take for something like autonomous vehicles or let's say there's a, a flood and loads of houses, households, businesses, companies lose power, they lose the ability to connect. What does it take to actually get, let's just say, signal and connectivity in remote areas or hard to reach areas? I mean, I'm picturing someone being helicoptered in with a mast, Justin, which is a weird and vivid picture, I'm sure. Is there anything that needs to happen? Anything that you want to stay away from? If you're wanting to put something that connects you to the rest of the world in a way but you're in a remote location because we need to have a certain speed in this day and age for things like your car for instance or your phone or something like that i imagine there are certain standards that you would have to hit in that moment that you can't just have any old thing in the middle of nowhere because it wouldn't really work anyway you may as well not bother if it's too slow let's say right Right. And, well, and it's also that yeah. So, you know, that that is a it's really complicated. It's something that um, a lot of people ask about um, as they try to think about, you know, disaster recovery and things of that nature. And, 
interesting you bring it up because back in this past summer, uh, back in August, um, there was a, in the state of Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky to be specific, um, there were some tremendous floods that came through. Um, and it just wiped these poor people out. I mean, complete roads were, were lifted out uh, from their surface. Um, homes were completely swept away. Um, so you had, you had multiple deaths, unfortunately, um, complete families that were uh, decimated. And so it was a real tragedy that hit uh, that part of the state. Um, and the entirety of the country was watching this in, in just despair. And fortunately, Ragent, my company, we were, we were, uh, we stepped up and donated um, some radios uh, to try to assist. And we were willing to get those out there. But one of the challenges were, how do you get it in? Um, how do we get there? Do we have places to connect to an internet backbone so that we can set up a network that's wireless? But how does it get back out to the rest of the world? And, you know, we were reaching out to the governor's office and trying to figure out different ways. And they identified, meaning the governor's office, they identified a need for us uh, for con connections at the health centers that were a place where these people could go to get assistance uh, for the emergency management folks from FEMA and others. Um, they were desperate for connectivity. And, and why was that? Because, well, the cellular network wasn't working. Um, the traditional internet access was down. Um, you know, everything was just being wiped out. The phone companies had already said um, that they would have to use force majeure and they would get back to it and work on it as soon as they could, but they couldn't guarantee how soon they could get things back up. Um, there was power outages, et cetera. So, you know, that impacted everything. And from a wireless perspective, uh, for somebody to try to get onto the cellular network, everyone was trying to get at the same time. It didn't have the capacity uh, to help those poor people. So we were able to partner with a local um, regional fiber line carrier. Um, and in doing such um, ourselves and, and that company's name is Excelicon, we were able to go in and they already fortunately had connectivity um, at health centers in eight counties. And so we were able to go down. I personally uh, joined them in the installation process and we were able to set up our radios and set up Wi-Fi zones. So we had to mount them on the top of buildings, put the antenna placement. We had to look at the area we could cover where it would be safe. Um, and we were able to connect our radios. And what's unique about our radios is we do not have to have power uh, from AC. So we were able to use DC power, for example, to power the radios. Um, and we could connect over great distances. And so we were able to cover parking lots and larger areas so that people could come in and get the assistance that they needed. The medical community could do the work they needed to do. Um, and it was, it was pretty awesome uh, to be able to do that. Um, but so to answer your question, um, sometimes it, had to, it just had to be creative and find out what was the area of greatest need, how we could get the connectivity there um, was there a provider that had some sort of internet connection back to the rest of the world? Um, and we were able to find that partner in Excelicom. You had to have public agencies uh, that were willing to work with us to get that done and give us access so that we could go through these devastated areas and have um, the authority to go in and set these things up. 
Um, and, and it worked and phenomenally. And so we were really proud of that and it helped those folks through that crisis. How do you actually install the system? I mean, is it a case of your helicoptered in? Did you go one on boats? What what kind of system did you have to put in place to be able to do that? And then as a part two, I find it interesting that in things like disasters or when connectivity tends to stop or there's a massive accident or natural disaster that causes it all to drop. And it's, I find it interesting that we tend to resort to radio as a, a method or like a baseline method. Uh, can you speak to those two things? Sure. So in this case, the way we got in, um, there were still some roads that were passable. Um, so, you know, I we drove down in our trucks and SUVs. Um, I personally loaded our gear in the back of my SUV and drove down um, and, you know, we got to site and, you know, right there you start looking at, okay, what do we need? Because you don't know what you're running into. So we got there, we knew there was fiber connectivity. Um, we had to get the internet poured up at, for example, in the one, I'll use one health center we went into. Uh, we were told where the address was when we got there. Uh, the whole rear of the building had been destroyed. So there was no parking lot. There was no place to go. There's no access whatsoever. But fortunately, they had power. So we were able to go around to another part of the building. We were able to get in. We were able to get access to the their panels for the internet side, for the, for the fiber connectivity. We were able to get into that. We had a port set up. And then we had to run ethernet cables. Um, and power out to just uh, DC power out to our radio so that we could connect them. And we mounted antennas um, on the side of this uh, health center. And we had to shoot over a creek bed that had been completely washed out. Um, and in doing such, we ran across that. We had the line of sight. Okay, we, didn't we weren't worried about line of sight, but we wanted to be able to see where we're going. So eliminate obstacles. and. Um, and we were able to mount on a building on the other side of the building that had already been condemned, um, but they allowed us to get on top of the roof to put an antenna and radio out there. And then once we got that set up, it covered a, a very large area, over 200 meters, and um, that allowed uh, FEMA uh, and their responders to be able to connect. Um, they, had, they had iPads, for example, so that people could put in their claims while they were trying to use um, cellular coverage, they, they could not get a consistent signal. Um, they couldn't get satellite in, so they could not connect these poor folks and it was taking forever to try to put in a simple claim. And when we, once we added that, they were, we immediately gave them access and they were to get in and, you know, not only were they able to do their stuff, but people were able to come in and finally connect to loved ones and, let their loved ones know, you know, their condition and what was happening. So um, it's, it's rewarding to go in and do it, but yeah, so it's, it's really just, you don't know what you're dealing with in a disaster. Um, you have to work with local authorities. They'll let you know what's passable, what's not. And in this situation, we didn't have to use L helicopters or anything like that, but we did have to get access to rooftops and, we had to go through some unsafe areas to be able to get something set up, but we were able to get it done. Um, I think the reason that you have to, 
use to your question about going to radios and things of that nature, you know, the beauty of 802.11 and Wi-Fi is that, you know, it, it's amazing how many people walk around with smartphones. Everyone pretty much has one today, or they've got some sort of a device, an iPad or a laptop, something that can connect to the internet. And as long as there's Wi-Fi available, they can get in. Um, but they need a solid signal. So I think the reason that you see people go this we're out uh, in disasters of going to that is because you can't get the normal infrastructure in place. There's no, you're not going to get why if think about a world where all we had was terrestrial services, meaning all you could do is use a phone line or uh, an inner, a cable connection to come in or even a fiber connection. If that's all you had in these areas, those poor folks would not be able to connect. There'd be no way to do it. Um, and so to be able to bring in infrastructure like wireless, Wi-Fi, and set that up, and you can have, the connection can be a ways away. It doesn't have to be right on site. It can be a mile out, and we can still get into these remote areas and bring connectivity utilizing um, wireless technology. And, and with Wi-Fi and our mesh radios, you could expand that footprint and overcome obstacles like trees and things of that nature. And we don't need particularly line of sight uh, to be able to bring that connectivity. And we can deploy multiple nodes uh, to bring that connectivity uh, to wherever is needed. Um, and in the case of Ragent, we can even mount a radio on a moving vehicle. We can literally put it on top of a truck um, and expand that network it where needed. So that's, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's amazing. The technology is there and when these needs happen, we can do it. And, you know, I'll give an example. I'm working with a company now that um, is really focused on trying to bring connectivity and necessary services to remote parts of the world. And we are, you know, I'm working with them on, they want to be sure to put comms in and how to bring all that in. And they literally will drop a platform in the middle of some of the uh, most desolate areas of the world um, and bring connectivity and um, some basic services that many of us just take for granted as a normal day, like clean drinking water, right? Um, and they're able to bring those solutions. And it's, it's pretty fantastic. It brings a whole different level to the thought experiment of you're trapped on a desert island. You can only carry three things for survival. What would you take with you? I imagine the story would be very different if you guys had a system on that island because it'd be like, well, what would you take with you? Well, I'd probably take my phone and then I'd phone someone to come and pick me up and that'd be, and that'd be the end of that. Um, it, it makes me think of, it was a term actually that I, I come across. It was digital deserts am i saying that right yes uh, yes what, what are they so digital deserts by our definition are those areas where um and they exist uh, throughout the united states um where you have a major or even a small market metropolitan area that they have all the advantages right there's fiber there's 5g or at least 4g um, there's solid internet access, um, you know, up to a gig in some cases that people can get. And then you go a few miles outside and you're lucky if you can get bandwidth at three meg or 1.5. Uh, 
So during the pandemic, one of the things that happened is, and this is where it really all came to bear that a lot of people started paying attention to this more, is during the pandemic, during the shutdown, schools, for example, elementary schools had to go to virtual learning. Well, that wasn't that hard for those folks that live in cities or in robust suburbs. But when you live in some areas of the country, that's not possible. There's not solid internet. Um, so they don't have access. And so, yeah, that might work to be able to do a quick lookup. But now if you're going to do video content, if you're going to have to have multiple people working on devices within a home, um, it became near impossible. They couldn't get that connectivity. Oh, and by the way, everybody's trying to do it at the same time, which causes con uh, congestion on the backbone of that network. How do you make that happen? I remember in the first week of the pandemic, when schools went back in session, Zoom literally shut down. They, they could not handle the capacity on the very first uh, week of that. And they had to make a lot of augments to be able to do it. So when you live in these remote areas, it becomes a real challenge. So in, you know, some examples is where, you know, schools literally had to send school buses out and kids would have to get on the bus. They would take them to a McDonald's in another part of town where there was public Wi-Fi just so they could connect and download their homework assignments. Um, and this exists throughout the country. Um, work from home was an impossibility for people. So they're trying to work from home, they have a laptop, they may have a phone, but they had to get in a car or go find a place where they could find public access, a library if they could get access to it, um, a parking lot somewhere just so they could download. So it, it really became a challenge. And, and those, it, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. I travel all over the world with my job and you know everywhere I go, there's access. But you get out in some of these remote areas, there's, it's, it's desolate. And you know to think you're just gonna be on your phone and stay connected all the way down the road, it's not, that doesn't work. Um, so it's, it's a challenge. And, uh, but yeah, these digital deserts acts absolutely exist uh, everywhere throughout the country. There's tons of places within the US alone, um, not to mention throughout the world. It must be a bit frustrating for some people, especially with the idea of demand as well, of being able to handle the, the data coming through, loads of people using it all at once. It can be tough for people, even in developed countries and, you know, sort of most connected countries, they can have a hard time as well. You know, like the idea of everyone being on their phones, on their tablets, on computers, watching films while on social media, while doing multiple other things at the same time, that can be difficult for people that have connectivity as well. The amount of people that try and convince me that like Wi-Fi and signal is a piece of string and everyone gets a certain length of string and then eventually it does run out if everyone keeps using it. It might be a quite an interesting analogy to to make sense of really but it can be hard for people in connected parts of the world to do it never mind these these digital deserts i mean it's interesting that you bring up when cities can be fully connected and then just outside of that you can get nothing what would that be down to do you think that just the the radius of the the mass that the nearest mass just isn't reaching those people like what do you put that down to 
Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple of things at play, right? So from a, if I'm talking 5G and or 4G and I've got a cell tower out there, for example, it's only going to cover so far. I mean, we've all experienced that, right? So, um, so there's that. The other thing is there's physics, right? You, if are there hills? Are there, is there a lot of uh, foliage and trees? Um, are there buildings that are uh, very thick construction with you know reflective glass or anything of that nature? Those things can cause problems in that network. And then if you think in terms of internet connectivity, um, just from fiber to copper, et cetera, um, you know, fiber plant, fiber facilities were built all over. Um, you have to overlay that and bring in fiber because the copper facilities are failing. Um, they can't carry the amount of bandwidth that fiber can. So, you know, so from a home, for example, or a small community, if all they've had are things like DSL, um, they're limited. If they're utilizing cable, again, they're limited to a shared network. So, so now you bring in um, things like you. So you want to set up Wi-Fi. Well, the the Wi-Fi, even the Wi-Fi, is dependent upon the quality of the bandwidth that's available. So if I set up Wi-Fi in my home, for example, as you kind of mentioned, and I have five devices, but I only have uh, let's say ten meg coming into to my home. But now you know what was fine two years ago when all I had was a laptop and a smartphone now it's and now i've got a family well now i've got multiple laptops i've got netflix streaming i've got disney plus streaming i've got work elements i've got video content um it, it's you start mixing all of that technology and those platforms together it it, it just sucks up bandwidth right video um, the voice is probably the least of it. It's it's everything else uh, that comes into it. And so it, it does drag on a network. So it's not enough to just have 10 meg, for example, in the home. And that was one of the problems we saw, obviously, during the pandemic. And so now how do we get higher end bandwidth, faster bandwidth out to these remote areas so that people can have access? Um, you know, if you take the analogy of you know, we've all seen the movies where, you know, this family has the kids and they're going to go out and yay, we're going to go camping. The kids are like, great. Yeah, we're going to go camping. And then as soon as they get to the campsite, the kids are trying to pull out their devices and nothing works. And it's all been, you know, bedlam just breaks out. Right. Like, wait, wait, I can't I can't get access to my Netflix. I can't do my social <laughs> media. You know, they all freak out. And so we've all seen those. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, when you live in areas where you have robust bandwidth, we, we almost take it for granted, right? And when you get in your car and you put in GPS, Google Maps or whatever, it works. It's not a problem. You get where you need to go. If you want to, you know, you want to download something and watch it on your phone or tablet later and you're going to go and sit out and watch your kids play soccer or play some sort of a field sport of some sort where you're out there, you can watch your video right there from the stands if you want to. Um, you can do all your social media, you can upload pictures, we can do all of those things. Um, but, you know, as soon as you get out too far, that's not a luxury. Um, so that that becomes an issue. And as far as the capacity, when big events happen, like, you know, we just had the Super Bowl, you know, 
there's a massive undertaking when you have these massive events and it's because of capacity. So that's why you will see um, larger internet pipes being open, you know, multiple gigs of bandwidth will get opened on fiber. So they're running in fiber. So they have the backbone. You'll see the wireless carriers bring in cellular on wheels, what they call cows. You'll see them bring those in just to increase capacity. Um, you will see Wi-Fi utilized very heavily for offload for things like your pictures and point of sale and things of that nature. And of course, that's going back to a terrestrial environment with fiber that, to the backbone. So you're seeing all that technology and it's all to handle the, the thousands and thousands of people that show up for these events for a small period of time. Uh, because in a normal basis, you wouldn't need that capacity. But when you have that many people that, that come into an area for, for a major event, it does put a huge um, congestion point and you have to find ways to get that access. It just makes you wonder what goes into a large event like the Super Bowl that enables everyone to post about the same thing all at the same time. Just right. sheds a bit of light onto like what actually has to happen to be able to run something like that. Yes, absolutely. And it takes planning, right? So it's more, you know, as much as a city has to plan on things like, you know, police and medical and all of those things and a, and a hotel has to plan on staffing and rooms and you know, you know what do they do for the you know food and all those things that they would normally need you know there's also a whole group of people that have to think about how we're going to provide that internet you, you can't Im imagine going to a super bowl in today's world and you couldn't upload a picture or post yeah. your social media outrage outrage right Crazy. or if you were the person that was doing you know if you go to a, an event today um in many stadiums you can actually order uh your food or even your beer or beverage from your seat um, and then they bring a point of sale and you order right there and you can use your, your 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 device or they bring a device to you and imagine in a super bowl environment all that happens and they can't process because there's not enough capacity um, it, it literally could shut it down and so um, and then of course you've got the on-field cameras and the connections that they need and all the media they need access so all of that ties together so there's a lot of planning that goes into these events long before it happens just to make sure that that the communications are going to be functional for the size of the event how do you see the future of connectivity going with all with autonomous vehicles with signal outside could be wi-fi could be 5g how do you see this looking and would you be able to break down what it would take to do that? Because we've just been speaking about events and things of that nature, but what about all these like digital cities where they have Wi-Fi outside and all those things? Talk us through that. Yeah. So I think, you know, over time, you know, if, if it, it's going to happen faster than any of us would realize. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it does always come down to core infrastructure, um, but devices and the technology is being created. So, you know, everything from a vehicle that can drive itself, an Uber that can just pick you up without a driver, um, those things are being tested now. And then, you know, to drones being able to deliver your packages. So instead of the Amazon van pulling up to drop off your package you may have an amazon droid 
drone rather drop something off, for example, or your local grocer could potentially deliver goods to you that way. So mm -hmm. there's, there's all these different ideas that are out there and people are actively looking at those applications. Um, but it does come down to, at the end of the day, connecting all of that. So you, and you have to have resiliency in the network. So along the waysides of roads and rail and so on and so forth, uh, you know, getting that fiber out there and getting the radio comms um, delivered so that you can carry, whether it's, you know, in our case, Wi-Fi is what we focus on. We want to make sure that we have the ability to deliver. Um, and so you would put, you know, you'd have fiber access points and you would have multiple radios out there uh, to handle the communications between the moving device, for example, you know, a moving vehicle or a drone and carry that back. But then you'd also might have some satellite communications utilizing in there. You may have some cellular in there, mixing all of that together so that you have constant communication. And I think over time, what you'll see is that it will just further expand out. Um, but it's going to take a lot of delivery of, of high-end bandwidth from multiple sources for that to occur. So it becomes more ubiquitous uh, everywhere you go. But we're, we're already getting there. I mean, there's the, the research is being done now. There's plenty of companies that are coming up with some really neat ways to utilize everything from Bluetooth, 802.11, 5G, and satellite communications to get those out there without being tethered. And they're working on ways to be able to aggregate. I have a good friend that's in the, the standards community and they're always looking at the back plane and how much bandwidth they have to be able to process um, and how quickly and what does that mean and how much more distance can we get on a string of fiber and how do we optimize the capacity of that fiber uh, to be able to manage the data that the data throughput, um, and that's a big thing. So at ingress egress point, um, so his, you know, in his world, he's always concerned about things like autonomous vehicles and the data that goes through it, and um, you know, and then they've got security aspects as well, right? So uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of neat things out there. Just picturing what it would take to have a drone deliver, let's say, your Amazon package whatever it is having a drone deliver that so you've got the gps that's involved you've yeah. got the data transfer to the drone i guess so the drone's aware of where you live in a way to be able to send it to you and then mm -hmm. if you live in one of these digital deserts it could very well just like drop to the floor and crash and burn or get lost or it'll stop at the edge of where the signal is and then just drop the package there because beyond that it doesn't know where to go i have pictured a, it's a very strange world if they rush this because if i imagine oh, that yeah. would happen like the, the drones in the air flying and hits this digital black hole and it doesn't know where to go does it just land does it fall to the floor does it guess does it just throw it and hope for the best like where <laughs> where, where, where where does it kind of go if we move too quickly with this because with things like 5g i know where I'm based currently in the UK, the towers, the masts that they put in place, they're huge. And it's making right. me think, okay, well, you're not helping the public opinion of this if we have to put them up and they're that 
size. At what at what point do we think, right, do we wait until they're packaged a bit better? Maybe they're not as huge. Then we think Wi-Fi outside, everywhere you go. Maybe we need them on public transport. So then we're small enough on things that are bouncing around the country or the city enough that there's always an area that's surrounded because the masts are moving, similar to what you said before with the was it radio towers on, on trucks and things, that maybe if we yes. did something similar to that, maybe you can cover the area, but then the technology has to be there to make them small enough and powerful enough to be able to handle that kind of infrastructure. It sounds like a lot needs to be in place before we have this conversation of autonomous vehicles everywhere, because I agree. I agree. Well, right. I mean, if you think about just mapping, I mean, it wasn't all that long ago we used MapQuest, right? Um, and then you know, we still have the instances where you're utilizing, you know, Google Maps, for example, and you get out in the middle of certain areas and it doesn't know where that road is, right? So because it hasn't been identified within that or it doesn't see it yet, right? So depending on where you are, there are going to be those challenges. So, you know, over time, it will get expanded, um, you know, Wi-Fi in cities, you know, if there's street lamps, there's ways to create a network utilizing the, the street furniture, right? Meaning street lamps and things of that nature. There's ways to hide and cut, you know, so aesthetically, you wouldn't even see um, the radios out there. You wouldn't even see that. I, um, you know, I know, you know, we help to support, um, you know, the royal wedding when when that happened in the uk and we were put out radios for that and you know they, they didn't want anybody to know where they were um, so they hide them they make them very um you know you can make them cosmetically kind of just aesthetically blend in so that people don't see them so there's ways to do it without having to have giant intrusive um large pieces of equipment everywhere um but you always have this battle as technology expands and you're right as technology improves the size changes they make it smaller they get more powerful there's they're more efficient um but you are going to have this element of of people are going to say i live out in the rural part of the country for a reason i don't want all that technology uh, you're going to have people that say i don't want a tower in my backyard right um yeah so sure. or i don't want you to dig up um, our street or you know this is a this is a green space we don't want it trenched for fiber so you know so there's always that challenge so how do you and so the challenge becomes okay how do we get it out there efficiently how do we appease the concerns of those people that live there and and, and enjoy their lifestyle how do we appease that but yet still provide the necessary infrastructure so that everyone can enjoy the benefits of what technology is because if if auto manufacturers for example if they start to go to all uh, connected vehicles and the predominance is going autonomous and electric for the sake of argument when you're still in an environment where you don't you can't even charge up a car that wouldn't be a, that wouldn't work right so um eventually you have to help these communities transform but yet still still appreciate um what they deal with and one of the things we do in our company i, I mean i can just i'll give you a brief story is 
you know, we also do a lot in the mining industry. And if you think about where mines are, they're in the middle of nowhere and they constantly expand. And there's not a lot of infrastructure near these mines. And, but yet they have to connect huge earth movers um, that are being driven um, autonomously. Somebody's just using a joystick from a different location. There's not someone in there. Um, the safety controls, the pumps to make sure that water is removed safely so that people aren't drowning or it's backfilling into a tunnel, for example. Um, just you start thinking about all the communication they need and all the layers of things that they have to have, cameras and um, you know, different sensors for everything from tremors to, you know, it, you name it, they've got to have all this type of gear. And how do you bring all that to the middle of nowhere? And what we're able to do is to say, okay, how many points of ingress do you have for fiber connectivity coming out to this? And then how do we expand that network so we cover everything? And so we're able to do that. We have, and, and I'll tell you, we have, we have mines out there. We have over 600 nodes meshed together, managing all of that on one single platform. And so it can be done, but it takes it takes a concerted effort on a lot of people. I mean, the idea of relying on signal and connectivity, some people are against it while they're, you know, loving life with their sat nav, wondering how the whole thing works. And, um, you know, the, the idea of not having connectivity with something like a, a sat nav, I mean, they, they get us lost anyway. Right, like they're they're not a hundred percent reliable, to say the least. And someone that hates technology, but then complains when Amazon doesn't deliver their package on the same day, it's yeah. it, it, it's a weird thing at the moment. When I mean, in my own opinion, anyway, the infrastructure should be there, the connectivity should be there. Whether you use it or not is up to you. And I think the only thing that I would probably say to that is, but it needs to satisfy the needs of the area. So if something's like a protected site, maybe something is very beautiful as an area. It could be Grand Canyon to deserts to forests, you name it. It needs to be a way of factoring in the area that you're in. Like as you said, with the, the royal wedding, no one wanted to know that they were there. So the, you had to find a way of blending them in. Yes. I imagine the same would be said for things like forests or mm -hmm. people that live in remote areas on purpose because they don't want the technology. They still might want a delivery every now and again, or they still might want to not get lost when they go out for a drive or they don't want their autonomous vehicle to drive into the sea, for instance. You're right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, you know, to use the old adage, no one, you know, I'll, I'll, I use this example all the time. I say, you know, no one, no one wants to, no one wants to deal with the police until they need the police. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, no one wants to see their road dug up uh, to put in infrastructure. No one wants to see a, a, a tower built uh, near them and take away, you know, from what they view is, you know, their skyline and, and, you know, their view of nature. No one wants um, things put on top of a, of a historic building. Um, people are, you know, there's all these concerns that people have, but to your point, they want all that, but yet they want to be able to have the conveniences that 
technology brings. So, you know, I think it's the onus is on the technology companies to find ways to make it as to make it less intrusive so it doesn't really impact people's everyday life from a physical element. Um, but yet, you know, society has to understand that that doesn't there, there is a cost, right? There may be areas where we have to do some trenching or you may have to allow a poll to be put in um, or you may have to allow somebody to attach to something. But, you know, companies can find ways to work with them and we just have to work together to do it. And it's it's only going to continue to evolve. And we can and I think that there is a place to be able to do all that and yet still um, allow people to have the feel of being in remote areas and having, you know, that experience that they want as well as the people that live within cities to have, you know, safe streets and be able to have quick access to things and all those conveniences. Um, and I think there's a, I think there's a balance to be had there. Um, and I think the technology companies, including ourselves are always trying to find ways to put things in smaller packages, more powerful that can transmit further and more efficiently and more resilient. It's definitely a relationship with the consumer, isn't it? Because in a way, we are forcing the speed because we want the convenience, we want the power, we want the control, we want the ability to do the things that we want to do. That, in a way, is encouraging companies like yourself to do things perhaps before they're aesthetically pleasing, to just get it mm -hmm. out there because we want the speed, we want it to be ready, we want it to do this, that, and the other thing, and we want it to be as fast as possible, which right now doesn't look small because the technology is not so far advanced that we can put everything in a five-pence piece anymore and do it in that, in that way in the shortest amount of time possible. So in a way, it's in part the consumer's fault that we want things to be so fast that we're just not ready for it to be tiny yet so you're going to have to accept a certain size if you want the speed the power the convenience that you want then it's about well what do we want more you know do we really want the convenience over something else that you'd have to do you know the ability to not dig up roads that comes with a price really you might have to wait until the technology right. is ready for that precisely um, so then it's like, okay well if there isn't a problem you might not be aware of it until it comes up in conversation so you do your thing you get two thousand complaints about digging up roads you think right well we need to come up with a way of doing what we want to do without digging up the roads at first you may not have realized it was a problem if that made sense until the problem comes up if if you understand what I mean. I do, I do. And, you know, you see that all the time. I mean, you know, not that it has anything to do with communications, but, you know, when, when there's road construction, everybody's upset, right? And then as soon as the road is completed, everyone goes, oh, wow, this is so much nicer, right? So <laughs> it's always the way yeah. it is, right? No one wants the mess, right? We just want the finished product. And if we snap our fingers and make it instantaneous, people would be happy, but it's not that simple. Um, no. you know, but I, I will tell you, I'll just give you an example. I mean, but we have, you know, we've manufactured radios. You talk about size, for example, and demand on the market. So think drones, for example, to be able to mount a radio that can transmit and receive, um, you have to have antennas, you have to have power and you have to put all of that on a drone. And so when you think about a wireless Wi-Fi radio that you put on top of there, um, think about the weight, think about all that, 
how do you put that payload on there and have it still fly efficiently? So we have radios that we've made for that space that literally are the size of a credit card. And you can mount it on there with smaller nub antennas that, and they can go great distances and work very well on very lightweight drones and no issues whatsoever. Um, you know, we have radios that we can mount that are smaller than a pad, you know, than a mini pad, you know, an iPad, for example, um, that you can mount and they're lightweight and they're outdoor rated and they can put it. And so they're very, you know, you just don't see them, right? They're there, they come to blend in, um, you know, and, you know, so, so when you start thinking about the size, it, it's not as it's the equipment is definitely getting smaller and you're putting more and more into that. And you're able to create tremendous amounts of data throughput out of that device. And then you add software and the firmware to make it operate and connect, control it from a remote location. It's the technology is evolving uh, every day to make it as small as possible, but yet still efficient and be able to utilize things like cabling and antennas to be able to expand it versus the size of the actual device that does the work. So if we were to fast forward a little bit, how long do you think it would take for everybody to be connected? Now I'm aware there's like forests, there's tribes where they might not even have radio at the moment or even a phone line, but at what point do you think that we could all actually be connected? I think, I think, I think we can we can get everybody connected now as long as the bandwidth is there, right? And we're and so I think the challenge isn't so much can we get it there? It's are we going to work together to make it happen? And I'm going to use the case of rural broadband and just being able to get to these digital deserts. The secret sauce is for all of these communication companies to come together and recognize that, yes, I'm really good at fiber. Okay, that's good, but your fiber does nothing if it's not connected to anything, right? So you have to combine multiple technologies together to create this robust network that everyone can utilize. And I think it's going to take some collaboration um, of the different technologies that are available and incorporate that into it. But, you know, many of us, you know, we know what we're good at. And so we say, well, I'm good at this, so I'm going to make this work this way. But there may be limitations in certain aspects of a remote area that you can't do it. So, but there may be another type of technology that can. So how do you partner? How do you collaborate? How do you help each other? to create this network and yet still be competitive and still have, you know, the opportunity to generate revenue and jobs and so on and so forth. It's there, but we just have to be okay with, okay, I may have to incorporate a piece of the network that I'm not the most comfortable with, but I don't necessarily understand it, but it's safe, it's reliable, and I can still maintain a reliable network for my customers, right? So it's, it, that's really what it comes down to. Well, Justin, it's been fantastic to have you as a guest on the show. I appreciate you, you taking the time today. I know we've gone fairly deep into a lot of different topics. So hopefully those that are listening will take a lot from it. But if people wanted to learn more about Regent and the work that you're up to, how can people find out more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first off, just www.ragent.com. And you can certainly learn more, R-A-J-A-N-T. 
um.com you can certainly uh, find out more about us and um my email is jwarren at rageit.com and i certainly would welcome uh, any uh, communication and then be happy to help any way i can thanks so much for being a guest on the show those that are listening feel free to subscribe share the show tell others and also leave a review wherever you are listening in to your podcasts justin thanks so much for joining me and i look forward to keeping in touch thank you Uh, Likewise, take care now.